Your spring is about to get a lot more power with the Home Depot. Get gas-like power from mowing, trimming, and blowing with the Ryobi 18-volt OnePlus system starting at just $89. Mowing power that can take on a third of an acre with one charge. Trimming power with up to two hours of runtime. And blowing power with 110 miles per hour of clearing force. All on one interchangeable battery. Get cordless gas-like power for the entire lawn with the Ryobi 18-volt OnePlus system. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Greetings, everyone. Wanted to start this one off with a, a really interesting interview with someone I had been wanting to make the acquaintance of for a very long time. Always admired him as a referee going back to when he was considered by basically everyone to be the best referee. Now works in the NBA's referee operations, and that's Monty McCutcheon. This took place actually during halftime of the Miami-New York game on Friday, and I hope you find it really interesting. We get into what the league is doing in terms of training referees would have been hardest of these new initiatives to implement so uh, i thought he was really interesting very eloquent and enjoyed the conversation immensely as well and so uh, our time is short here i wanted to get right to it uh, talking about uh, the league's referee operations Uh, and so uh, you uh moved into this uh, administrative role uh, a few years ago and so uh, obviously the the goal is to try to improve the league's processes. I know the league puts in so much work on that, but where do you think refereeing has most improved over these last few years? Well, we've worked really hard at at retaining and building discipline within three people working together. Three really talented officials who don't work amongst themselves and and are off by themselves don't do nearly as well as three people who are disciplined who adhere to our mechanic system, trust the angles, trust open looks up against closed looks. What I can't see as an official, one of my two partners has a better chance at seeing based on a different angle. And when we do apply that discipline, we raise the level of the service to the game. And and I've said this in other places, but NBA referees serve the game of basketball. They serve the game at the highest level. And when we work as a team, which we have done over the last several years, we are much improved and we do serve the game at a high level. So uh, how do you implement that? How do you uh, work with officials uh, in maybe ways that that you weren't able to do before of uh, getting this uh, integrative unit that you're talking about? Yeah, Nate, several ways. One, we used to have, you used to be a successful referee and come into management and having been a successful referee was good enough. Joey Crawford has a a very famous name and being Joey Crawford or Mark Wunderlich or Bennett Salvatore or Eddie Rush, that was enough. And you just sort of shared your experiences. We realized that that was not enough. And so we've gone through extensive management training about how to manage people better, how to manage referees, how to deliver feedback, how both in person and in writing Hmm. so that it's more effective feedback. We've also added some technological advancements. We have an internal website called the referee. Uh, enhancement performance system in which we 
the year that we, prior to putting this in, we had a thousand analog emails going back between referees and management team members. This is a social platform internally. Obviously, it's not an outward facing social platform, but where people can share uh, referees can go referee to referee and share interactions. But even between management and referees, we can clip plays in real time. So as we're watching the Knicks Miami tonight, I can clip a play from the second quarter. I noticed you talked about the offensive foul with Julius Randle and, and Butler. I can clip that play and I can hit NBA referees and 75 referees can get the proper interpretation about what we want on that play in real time. And so when when we've done that, we've taken those thousand analog interactions between referees and our management staff. Last year, we had over 14,000 interactions between referees and management. And that doesn't include what referees are using to clip plays, share plays in and amongst themselves. So the real-time learning of mistakes and successes is able to be applied immediately and share what it is that we need to have done to make sure that we're improving on a nightly basis. Well, and I'm sure it makes it easier for people to be on the same page because you're implementing this instead of being those kind of staccato conversations, you can have it with everyone kind of at once. And on, on top of that, Danny, we can then go and I can see what if Joy Crawford was was watching these three referees, let's say Wednesday night, and he put in five, six interactions per referee. Now, while I'm watching this on Friday night, I can see whether they're absolutely applying what Joey told them on Wednesday night to see if they're making the adjustments that we've asked them to. In the past, with so many disjointed uh, forms of communication taking place, we wouldn't always go back and check all those emails. And so we've really advanced in one central place all the interactions to where we can see whether people are applying. Any good growth comes from, one, being able to take education and apply it, but also to face your mistakes and then be able to grow out of those mistakes. Refereeing is a game of imperfection. And what we try to do is talk about those imperfections. We also try to, you know, support the successes, but we talk a lot about the things that we don't do well. And I think it's important that if we're going to ask players and teams and coaches to dedicate the amount of passion that they do, we have to meet that passion and we have to meet that work ethic. Yeah, and it seems like that's got to be invaluable for you to be able to not only just say, okay, your grade was X, you got X number of calls right, X number of calls wrong, that's how we're grading you, but you could also say, hey, this is someone who's young, they have potential, whenever we give them feedback, they are able to improve on that. That seems like something that would be really useful for you. And, and we hold people accountable through that system too. So if you're doing really well and that young person consistently is applying thing, you come into the league as an umpire. We have crew chief, referee, and umpire. Crew chief being our highest designation. But if you're doing well, we can move you up to some referee spots. Conversely, if you're not doing as well, not applying the, the feedback that we give, then we are allowed to message to you that, hey, you have needs of improvement. You may end up getting more umpire. So we have levels of accountability that not only make sure that we're being held accountable, but that the people who are doing the work get the accolades that are earned and deserved. So uh, you guys, uh, one thing that I've really loved uh, about what the NBA has done and the, the competition committee and, and also you all with the implementation is I think you've been more on the forefront of seeing what some of the little tricks are. You know, I think going back to like the 2017 
playoffs where you had, you know, these a lot of like three shot fouls where guys would just feel contact and throw up kind of a, a shot that you wouldn't normally take. And so uh, there have been a lot of things going to uh, even some of the non-basketball moves that were implemented last year. So there have been a number of these initiatives. I think uh, you know, off-ball movement being another one. I, I, I voraciously devour your videos. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm not afraid, that, not afraid. You're to the one, Nate. You're the <laughs> one. Hey, there, there are at least two in this conversation, probably a lot more. I mean, because it's there also are. so important for understanding how the league works. Like yeah. Nate and I, we, we talked about it more than most, but understanding these things, I mean, there, there have been various different conversations, and a lot of it is like misunderstandings about how the league is officiated and how the league is scored. So I, I wanted yeah. to ask you of the these changes that have been made, the new uh, points of, of emphasis, points of, of education. Uh, which of those has been the hardest for you and your team to, to implement? Well, there's been two I think that that come out. Um, the the freedom of movement was pretty cut and dried. If you yeah. wrapped and you put some an arm on the opposite side and that arm came to a pause, you know we were able to apply that. NBA referees are excellent. Not perfect, but excellent at applying consistent messaging. It's our job in management to give that consistent messaging and align with what the competition committee and the stakeholders, our governors, our general managers, our players, our coaches. And when they when we're all aligned and we through a vetting process, surveying the league on what they expect out of their officials, then getting to that common language allows us then to to deliver consistent messaging. I think the two that stand out the most obviously are the non-basketball moves because we had to define what it constituted a non-basketball move. We got to overt uh, leg kicks, overt wraps with the or hooks with that off arm, overt launch angles, all right, or abrupt veering off the plat path. And so I think that once you get the language right, and then we go in and find three, four, five hundred plays from the previous season, and we we give those referees, we have a preseason meeting, a trading cap, if you will, that lasts five days, and we look at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plays to drive home what overt looks like. It's not just saying the word. We show the referees, this is what an overt launch angle looks like. This is what an abrupt veering off path looks like. And when we get that kind of consistent effort, then the referees do a good job. But finding the right language as the rule is written is the, is the, is the work of the competition committee that they're so great at. I think the second one obviously has been the transition take foul this year. We've done an, a really good job of eliminating uh, a large amount of them, an overwhelming amount of them. That being said, what constitutes immediate push of play after a change of possession. And so we've worked this year on making sure that the the rule as it's written has consistent application through that. Now, we paste, uh, place those plays on the website that I talked about earlier. So if we have 15 transition take fouls in November and December that we need to calibrate better on, I can create a playlist of 15 and say, here's how these should be interpreted. Send it out to 75 NBA referees immediately, and they're using it in their pregame meetings to, to calibrate more appropriately. But those two stand out for sure. Yeah, on that the makes take a foul, lot of sense. I, I think it's been uh, really interesting for me to kind of see your videos and see that there's, you know, there's been a seems a little bit of an evolution uh, over the course sure. of the year. Would, would you agree with that uh, as how it's been done? And I thought uh, the way you articulated on the most recent one, where it's all right, you're you're giving up on the play. 
as as kind that's of right. the, the big trigger. I think that's something that you know because you, you obviously you want to make it as as objective as you possibly can. Uh, Danny, what else do we want to ask Money about here? Uh, Money, one of the hardest things for us as analysts and, and broadcasters is the block charge call, and I know for referees that's very very difficult as well. Do, like I know one part of that is being in the path, but like how would you distill the kind of the rubric there for how to make those calls? Well, one, you want to set be able to set the outside edge and beat someone to the spot with so if the play is moving to our left, let's say, yeah. all right, and and it's and it's going left, I have to get my shoulders perpendicular to the person that I'm trying to guard. I can't just throw myself in there and get in front of them this way, right? With my shoulder, I have to beat them to the spot so that I can take it here. If I get my my outside leg, and I don't mean by sticking it way outside, right? Yeah. Normal play. If I can beat them to that spot and per- have my shoulders perpendicular to them, then I can take that and be able to absorb that blow, all right? And so from that standpoint, you want to make sure that someone's not just throwing themselves in the air in the path without having an established good legal guarding position on the floor. And that's an important piece. NBA players are great at disguising late movement. So if they, if let's say they bite on the pump fake, right? They not the pump fake, but the, the jab step left. Yeah. And now the offensive player comes back, right? But the defender's already a little late. What, what defenders will do is move towards the offensive player in a horizontal fashion to get back into the play, right? Yeah. But they'll also get moving back towards the basket to get their momentum going here so that if they're going to be late, they'll throw themselves back in an attempt to fool the referees that they've been run over. We've got to make sure that they beat the offensive player to the spot and aren't merely throwing their body in the pathway without establishing legal guarding position. And it seems like that's become much more difficult to referee with some of the great moves that have come in now. A guy like Giannis, for example, like the KD, guys who could Euro step around guys where determining even what the player's path is so that you could determine whether he's in it has become hard now. Yeah, I think it is difficult. One of the things, and and I'll circle back to the teamwork that we talked about, Nate, because the teamwork means that I see more of less of the game. Hmm. If I depend, if, if, if the three of us are partners tonight and I depend on you to see your third, and Danny, I, I depend on you to see your third, then I get to referee my two defenders for longer periods of time because I'm on them for a long period of time. So I can see that help defender coming over because I'm not trying to see the whole game. Y'all got your two thirds done. I'm taking care of my third. And if we divide the game and trust and have discipline, we see players and the play for a longer period of time, which anytime you can see a play longer, it becomes slower and more easy to officiate. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask you about quickly, we got about two minutes left here. A lot of times you'll hear analysts or, or even, you know, if you're playing a pickup game or something like that, you complain about a late call. Like, what is, what is sure. the what is the philosophy on hey, if, if the whistle blows a, a couple of seconds after uh, the foul was uh, eventually judged to take place? Uh, how do you all deal with the with that? Well, 
I think a couple of seconds, the ball would probably already be gone. And it feels that long when we're watching a game, yeah. right? But refereeing, late calls in refereeing are really in fractions of seconds. But it still is late to your to your point. And what we don't want is for there to be an outcome-based decision. Someone either got mm. fouled or they did not get fouled, right? We're not waiting to see whether the ball gets laid in. Those aren't things that we teach, nor do we adhere to. That being said... NBA referees are not perfect, as we mentioned earlier, and sometimes things do happen, and you do have to momentarily replay that play. What it is, was that legal or illegal? In that regard, sometimes they're nanoseconds late, and we have to do a better job of getting to those plays earlier. Yeah, but you would rather have it be late and right versus miss. That's 100% right. right. That's 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 what I always try to tell people, too. Well, uh, Bonnie, this was absolutely awesome having you uh we would love to have you back at some point because uh, i've got ninety-seven thousand other <laughs> nerd questions that, that i want to ask you but uh it's an honor having you on uh, one of the best referees ever and uh, we really thank you for the time i appreciate you having me and if you do want me back i'd be happy to do it i hope you all have a wonderful evening thank you for the time thank you man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm. It's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us i'd hope you enjoyed that segment uh, from monty mccutcheon uh, i really enjoyed having him on the nba strategy stream on friday but let's talk a little bit more about that friday game danny and the miami heat and new york knicks the knicks now having won eight straight as of this recording sunday afternoon what are their fundamentals the new york knickerbockers are 38 and 27 that is 13 and 8 since the last 1560 they are third yes that's right Wait, th- third in 13 and 8 13 and 8 since the last 15 and 60 yeah. so they were they had a cold stretch right before the one yeah they were five and eight and then they won eight in a row okay yeah and they're now third in offensive rating 118.2 what 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 it's incredible. Um, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that a little bit. And they're 17th in defense. They're a big bunch. They're they're included within the big bunch. And 538's Raptor model projects the Knicks to finish with 48 wins, which would be the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. 99% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, they're they're getting some separation here in part due to this win they had over the Miami Heat. Yeah, the Heat, and they have essentially switched places. The Heat now down to 33 and 31. We'll talk more about them momentarily here. But this victory by the Knicks, I'm not sure how sustainable it was necessarily. Uh, There are a lot of things about it that I thought were crazy. Uh, And number one, of course, uh, was Julius Randle with 43 points, 16 to 25 from the field, 8 of 13 from three, three assists. And the biggest thing that stuck out to me was it's not like, I mean, this is about the best I've ever seen someone score isolating pretty much exclusively against Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I mean, these shots he was hitting were absolutely ridiculous. Throughout the game. And I, I thought for significant stretches, the Knicks process was actually kind of bad in, in the half court where they were doing these basic yeah. actions yeah. to uh, get... Including this significant stretch that encompassed uh, the last uh, minute or two of the game. Absolutely. And they were doing basic actions to get a different player onto Julius Randle. And I mean, the... And the general concept there, I mean, there were times where Bam, a lot of the time, Bam was the primary matchup, which also limited Adebayo's ability to help, but made sense for a lot of other reasons. And so they were doing that to get Jimmy Butler on. And it reminded me of 
all those series where like I criticized Brad Stevens for this, where it's like you you get the other team's like second best defender on the player instead of their fourth or fifth best defender. You know, could have gone after Hero or gone after Kevin Love or numerous other things. And when they went after Love, which the Knicks did aggressively at other times, it generally went pretty well for them. And Randall to be 16 of 25 when broadly speaking, I thought whoever was on Randall did a good job defensively was really striking. Yeah, I thought there were a couple of times going against uh, Butler that Randall got a decent shot. One time he faced him up, Butler kind of had his, tried to get deep into a stance to prevent himself from getting back down. And then Randall just faced up and because he had gotten so low, was able to just shoot right over him. But a lot of times it was the step back going to his right. It, it was difficult shots uh, across the lane. This game in an homage to Alan Houston's game winner back in 1999 featured an inordinate number of shots that hit the front rim and then the backboard and then went in and Randall uh, and Jalen Brunson had a, a number of those as well and then he even towards the, both in the first quarter because the, the matchups in the first quarter were really interesting right Kevin Love is starting now for the heat so they put him on the center and with Brunson they wanted to attack Kevin Love get the hedge and then a lot of they weren't really like moving the ball and getting stuff out of that hedge by Love but they were at least like allowing Brunson to get a little bit of separation from his defender and then before his man could get back into position he was attacking and then they had Bama out of bio on Julius Randle and like they just went to their same normal plays they don't care it's that uh Bam Adebayo was on Julius Randle I think Cooper Moorhead had this stat that overall in this game Julius Randle had 21 points on 12 isolations and I believe every single one of those came against either Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo which was pretty remarkable that huge performance from Randall and it I mean I wouldn't say it culminated because the last play was so bizarre but Jimmy Butler guard and I, they did a great job but deflected the ball and it was one of those bounces it's not inconceivable when you see the angles but it felt impossible at the time where it basically bounced off of Randall's heel and instead of going out of bounds bounced towards him and there was just enough time the Knicks were down one for Randall to get up the shot drill the three which turned a one-point deficit into what became a two-point victory yeah that last, let's actually start in the last minute of the game and which will culminate sure. in that because there are a lot of really interesting things the, the heat are down most of the game they finally tie it at 116 on an incredible Jimmy Butler offensive rebound within three Knicks, grabs it, rips it away from Randall, gets it up, ties it at 116. And Tom Thibodeau likes to call timeouts early. So they've tied it at 116. Yeah, you know, it's a kind of a momentum thing where they've they haven't really been able to take the lead now they have you know you did lead by four they scored two points in a row, or two buckets in a row but there really is no reason to take one of your two timeouts at that point with 104 left the one thing that they did do was they put Emmanuel quickly in for Mitchell Robinson so they did go offense defense that was maybe the one thing they're able to do and and the heat weren't going to take Tyler Hero out of the game at that point and they had Caleb Martin in for Kevin Love so there's just a they were able to get an advantage of not that 
Julius Randle necessarily used that advantage because he because the and actually I think they kind of they got more spacing but they also fixed it so Julius Randle had to go against Bam Adebayo instead of Jimmy Butler on the isolation that they called but then Randle slams into Adebayo hits him in the face he's momentarily stunned then Randle goes for that step back fade away going uh, over his left shoulder that he likes so much and Adebayo gets a great contest doesn't matter Julius Randle makes yet another ridiculous shot and they get the and one at this point though I really thought Spolstra blew it by not challenging because it looked like obvious high five contact to me I think that would have gotten overturned could have saved him a point potentially and uh, instead Randle hits the free throw and the Knicks are, are up by three makes the free throw they're up by three and then quickly gets called for he gets called for a loose ball foul on Tyler Hero well no, it wasn't it wasn't a loose ball foul it was uh Hero had the ball it was just uh going through a screen going through a screen oh yeah that's right and and so this was the play where there was contact between Bam Adebayo the screener and Tyler Hero but as the review indicated there was also contact between Quickly and Hero and I would presume based on everything that the contact with Adebayo is actually what caused Hero to go to the ground however when you're reviewing a call you give deference to the call on the floor and so if there if basically if the contact existed if it could have been the could have been the impetus for it then Hero goes to the line so it was an unsuccessful challenge by Thibodeau and that the, then meant that the Knicks were dealing with a serious timeout deficit for the remainder of the final 46 seconds. Well, yeah, and you made this point on the broadcast very well. I thought that it's not only being able to advance the ball with a timeout, but it's also being able to use the challenge and not being completely out of timeouts. And so Hero makes these two free throws. I thought Zach Zarber explained it well that there wasn't enough to overturn because there was a legal contact by Quickly at the same time as Hero runs into his own man out of bio. So he hits a couple of free throws. And then the Knicks are completely out of timeouts with 46 seconds left. We were saying, hey, the the Heat should pressure full court because the Knicks obviously would want to run the time down uh, up one. Instead, they try to go after Tyler Hero in the half court. And Hero makes a great play uh, as they try to use his man as the screener. Takes it away from Julius Randle. Knicks do a good job getting back. But then Hero gets a driving layup to put him up one. And then Knicks, again, are out of timeouts. This is where you probably would want to use a timeout, potentially maybe not right away, but certainly once the play devolved into the uh, utter crap fest <laughs> that it became. Yeah, especially the deflection, you get it, and Randall's yeah. out he of position. He got deflected twice. Like He got yeah. knocked away all the way at half court, and then it got knocked away again. And it was only because Hero was uh, involved in the double team that Randall was kind of able to shoot over him. Just an impossible step back three that he somehow made with uh, what eventually became 1.1 seconds remaining. I want to take a step back, and I think this will be a good point to transition to another major story of this game and the Heat more broadly, which is you brought up that the Heat were playing from behind. Oh, most one, of this one more thing, too, at sure. the end. Uh, they bring in Kevin Love to be the inbounder. They had a timeout remaining. And you made this point again on the broadcast. I, I keep bringing up your own points that were so good, but uh, he throws it away. The Knicks did a great job denying. They put Quentin Grimes in for Brunson and they denied first two guys popping out for three pointers. And then they denied uh, Jimmy Butler and Mitchell Robinson got the steal, but they had a timeout left. Like Kevin Love could have just called timeout. And they could have run something again. And he, and he didn't, which was, uh, which was odd. It was. And, and Love 
usually a very aware player. And it seemed like they were getting really close to a five second call. Now, they don't always whistle it in that circumstance. Yeah, but no, they definitely were going to. It would have been a five seconds. He which is kind of why he forced it. But he didn't go to the time on set. But yeah, you said you wanted to go for a more macro point about the heat. I did. And so in, you talked about earlier how the Heat played a lot of this game from behind, which is 100% correct. And it reminded me of that game that they lost against the Philadelphia 76ers on, I think it was middle of the week, where they got completely laxed in both these games in the second quarter. And then we're playing from behind that entire time. And it just kind of changed the dynamics of the game. And it happens to have been, happens to have been is, is a polite way of putting it, during the stretch where both Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo were off the floor. And partially inspired by this game, Cooper Moorhead at NBA.com did a nice did a nice little write-up in, in a section of his piece on this. And it gets into this fundamental challenge for Miami, especially with how few of their other players have stepped up. And the, the way that Moorhead display, uh, explained it, I think, was pretty useful. It's like, basically, Miami's defense has really not been good without Bam. And their offense really has not been good without Jimmy Butler. So the challenge you have when you decide whether whether you want to stagger these players or not, I always usually def- define it in terms of whether the player's skill sets are complementary or not. So like, for example, I thought Russ and KD should have been staggered more than they were because their skill sets weren't super complementary. Whereas like Draymond and Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry makes Draymond more viable on offense. You play those guys together more often, it can yield some benefits. So the idea, one concept concept of it that Spo and this coaching staff is presumably dealing with is if you stagger those players the team might not be viable enough to survive those those staggered minutes and so you're thus it, it, it's just that the margins are a little bit different now I, I don't know 100% that I like fully agree with that assessment I think there is definitely merit to it but the idea that you can't really make either of these other things work without those guys on the floor becomes the logistical hurdle that the Heat just haven't been able to overcome this year yeah and it's uh, particularly difficult and those no bam no jimmy minutes particularly now cody zeller is the backup center like he really struggled they were putting two on the ball i, I like the way that thibodeau changed up the strategy when zeller was in the game as opposed to when Adebayo was in the game to put two on the ball make zeller make the play going downhill which he was largely unable to do and so i mean i think zeller is giving them a little bit more than what Dwayne deadman was giving them at times but uh you know we may see omer yurtsvin who i think can give them more than what any of their centers have he's played a couple of games in the g league he's now questionable for their next game and he's looked good in the g league put up his usual crazy stats there so just someone who can get like actually finish a little bit give them a little more offensive juice might be helpful but yeah in this game you know it was the it wasn't only the non-jimmy minutes but it was the non-bam non-jimmy minutes that killed them but particularly when you have butler you know let's recall he leaves their game against philly on wednesday early was questionable for this one plays then he plays again and they beat the hawks on saturday but he can't play that many minutes and like he was he was very active in this game wasn't as active in that hawks game so yeah they they definitely just don't quite have the depth you know kyle lowry is still out eric spolstra wouldn't by the way wouldn't expand on when Lowry might be available. He wouldn't respond when asked if he was going to miss the rest of the season. He wouldn't expand on what his activity level is. So uh, obviously getting a little more organization from what Kyle Lowry was supposed to be giving them when Butler is on the bench would have been really helpful. But uh, yeah, they they definitely have a a problem there. Uh, Anything else that stuck out to you from this particular game for the Heat though? 
Hero, we talked about that big steal late. He had a, a nice offensive game overall. 29 points, 11 of 18 from the field, hit his threes. Uh, did have four turnovers, but I thought generally he he did enough offensively to be there. And Victor Oladipo was huge on the defensive end. Some of the big stretches that Miami had in their kind of comeback from that second quarter deficit was Oladipo being the best defender on those Knicks creators. Yeah, particularly uh, Jalen Brunson. Uh, Gabe Vincent didn't necessarily have his best game. Oh, and what you, and yeah. Josh Hart, the plus minus king of New York, plus sixteen in thirty three minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. L- l- we, I got a little more to talk about on the Knicks too, but from the okay. Heat perspective, you know, Max Struess just hasn't been able to give them what he did last year. Even in the playoffs, only got nineteen minutes. In this one, was a, a team worst negative fifteen. Um, oh, Hero has surpassed him, and and obviously he gave they desperately need heroes creation as probably their second best offensive player it seems like they don't really want to play Struess and hero together much they don't have the personnel now to play Struess at the two as much as they did like all of their good players even with Lowry out are guards and they just don't have very many good fours what did you make of the Kevin Love experience for Miami he didn't really space out the Knicks the Knicks bigs too much so I mean we saw Love change a game earlier in the season against the Knicks where they couldn't handle that high pick and roll with then it was Donovan Mitchell in part because Donovan Mitchell was completely ridiculous in that game and loves limitations defensively like the Knicks went after him more than I think they would the average kind of like other defender going after somebody who's not named Bam Adebayo generally a good approach so I thought he was fine. I think that Love's place against the best opponents is always going to be a little bit questionable. And there is this element with Love where um, there are various players where I've made this point before where it's like you, Bam Adebayo gives you the latitude. He's such a wonderful defensive player to play an inferior defender. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should because it creates all of these other potential problems. And so they need the spacing especially with the shooters not shooting for this team. But I don't I personally don't buy him as a starter on a team this good. I did think that his outlet passing was really helpful. His defensive rebounding, where he still is very good, was helpful. He actually had some throwback moments on the offensive glass in the first half, which I enjoy because he is just one of, he doesn't do it that much anymore, but he's one of the best offensive rebounders I've ever seen when he really gets working on that. Uh, But again, part of it, as you noted, his role is to space these guys out more than to be operating inside the arc because you already have Bam and Jimmy. Uh, So we'll see how it goes there. I mean, he's such a defensive liability they do have other good defensive players on this team so i'm i agree with you i mean i think he's just he would it would be a lot better if he was coming in in kind of the same role as he was with cleveland last year to just bomb off the bench actually maybe even be featured a little bit more than he is with the starters but perhaps they also feel like they can't survive defensively unless he's playing with their their best defensive players bam is just he continues to make just very small strides every year there was one play that i was really wowed by on the broadcast where he runs a pick and roll as the ball handler with jimmy butler and then jimmy butler rolls to the basket and he gets an inside position on a seal i think it was against one of the smaller Knicks guys it might have been like grimes or josh hart it was probably josh hart and bam didn't have the passing angle though because mitchell robinson is kind of laying off a little bit and so bam pump fakes 
not to try to get Mitchell Robinson in the air, but just to draw Robinson a little bit closer to him so that he then could find the passing angle to Butler. It was was a pump fake to set up the pass, which I thought was brilliant. Just for your five man to be able to make a play like that was really, really impressive to me. How about from the Knicks standpoint? We talked about Randall and his preposterous shot making in this game, which is reminiscent of what he did two years ago. I mean, I think 43 points and only four free throw attempts as well, and just some of the ridiculous shots that he hit. But uh, outside of him, what else stood out to you? A better RJ Barrett performance, especially in the non Adebayo minutes. That was the one of the notable differences is that RJ huge in that run. And then once the, once the heat went back to their starters, the driving lanes weren't quite the same, but Barrett eight of 15 from the field did well from two, didn't get to the line but had some good finishes i thought that he did well overall another i I thought his recognition was really good in semi-transition like at the start of the second quarter in particular when the heat had guys like hero in the game or or struce smaller guys who once he got like rj barrett like you it's really hard for a smaller defender to keep him from getting into the lane but a lot of times he's so slow getting there he's not really beating his guy that if there's a big man there he's gonna stop him but the heat you know they've got zeller and again a bunch of guys that weren't gonna be able to contest him at the room so i thought he recognized that really well and got to that left hand and transition we saw some of the limitations of ob toppin it's this yeah fundamental challenge where somebody who's both not an effective rim protector but also not an effective kind of switch perimeter defender his hip flexibility his lateral quickness just isn't quite there and so we saw the heat take advantage of that in a couple different ways including in pick and roll coverage and top i I mean caleb martin is like blowing by him on a closeout multiple times and Toppin can be a real key you know like a linchpin for them in transition the knicks have been better i would say overall they haven't needed him as much for their transition identity this year which is good for the knicks overall it's kind of bad for Toppin in a sense and he's taking the right shots but he was one of five from the field missed some open threes that the heat were willing to concede and so yeah yeah i thought it was troubling he missed a couple of open corner threes in a row and then he passed one up which i i didn't like to draw to try to drive i'd forgotten about that but you're correct yeah yeah and then strong jalen brunson game you know 25 points eight assists only one turnover and that has been a part of this uh nick success story their fifth in offensive turnover rate and second in offensive rebound rate. So just the idea of generating extra possessions and not conceding any possessions has been really important for them because they're they're third in offense despite being 20th in the most important of the four factors, which is effective field goal percentage. Yeah, Brunson, uh, he was visibly slowed after having to go back to the locker room after spraining his right ankle, but he was able to finish the game out, 25 points, eight assists. And, and he and Randall doing almost all their damage off the dribble or on contested th- threes combined for 11 out of 20 from downtown and then Emmanuel quickly uh, also uh, another guy who just gives them a lot of pace he was five of nine from three he really got going in the second quarter as they built up a nice 15 point lead put up 71 points in the first half did the Knicks and quickly had 21 points uh, on 12 shooting possessions and I thought uh, did a, a decent job defensively as well so what did you make of Tom Thibodeau's decision when it comes to who he's going to close with he has a number of interesting options at the point he does and you know that the no-brainers are randall especially when he's going this well and brunson and then presumably you want to have a center on the floor the knicks don't really have the personnel other than in those like real late switch situations like we saw in the last last possession so robinson or hartenstein you can do either thing there and then those last spots 
you can really do it, you know, kind of hot hand quickly had a nice game. Hart had a nice game. Grimes, this wasn't his best, though. I mean, honestly, having Quentin Grimes as the base defender on Jimmy Butler is just a tough ask. I love Quentin Grimes, but I like him better on guys that are a little smaller than Jimmy Butler, especially with Butler's foul drawing acumen. I'm not sure if we mentioned this. Jimmy, 18 of 20 from the line in this game. Overall, the Heat only missed two free throws. They were 30 of 32. So you probably you want your your best Butler defender to be in this game. That was Josh Hart. So you probably want him out there. And they they to the to Tibbs credit, like they had quickly on there in some important moments and everything else. Like I, I thought he did a reasonable job. Yeah, between Barrett, quickly Grimes, Hart, you're probably going to have you, you get three of those four guys essentially that you can play at the end of games that they want to. If you're going to say that a center, probably Mitchell Robinson, Randall, and Brunson are obviously going to be givens for them. We did the next fundamentals. Let's get to the Heat here before we move on. The Miami Heat are now 34 and 31. That means they are 10 and 11 since the last 1560. Really a missed opportunity for them because they they could have pushed a little beyond that. 25th in offense. They've fallen from 22nd to 25th since the last 1560. And they're still fifth in defense, still doing really, really well there. And after these kind of recent losses, they've fallen in the Raptor projection from to 43 wins. And that would be the seven seed. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for them. They definitely have to find a way to start playing better. And, you know, I don't know that Kevin Love has been the problem, but they have played pretty poorly with him in their group. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. 
Milwaukee and Philly played a really interesting game last night. 133-130. Sixers snap the Bucks 16-game winning streak. And a lot of interesting things popped out from this game. But let's start first uh, with the fundamentals for Philly. The 76ers are now 41-22 and on the season. That means they've been 15-6 and since the last 15-60. and Appropriate. And they're sixth in net rating, plus 3.7, which is actually roughly about what they were before that success. Seventh on offense, ninth on defense, one of the few teams that is top 10 in both. And with their recent success, the Sixers have moved. They've edged past the Cavs. They're four ahead in the win column. Or sorry, four ahead in the loss column, one ahead in the win column. And the 538 uh, Raptor model projects the Sixers finished two games clear of the Cavs at 52, which would be the three seed. So this was probably James Harden's best game in a Philly uniform. And he didn't shoot it well throughout a lot of the game. But then he was on fire in the fourth. He had 17 points in the fourth quarter, finished with 38 for the game, 10 assists four offensive rebounds five of nine from three which was huge and Joel Embiid also uh, had a really nice game he had 10 assists as well uh on his way to 31 points only six of ten from the line but uh one of the big themes from this game was that everybody on both teams was making their threes and beat even was three of five george niang came off the bench for five out of six but getting back to harden and and, uh, i want to talk about the end of the game here too but he he had the biggest shot of the game with them down four in the last two minutes to cut it to one late clock and I, i thought their approach was pretty good for philly now a couple of things to note pj tucker only played 19 minutes he left in the third quarter after he kind of aggravated his back going for a loose ball tobias harris only 13 minutes he had a calf injury so tucker and harris essentially didn't play in the second half they did start tyrese maxi i think they did that in their last game too but the doc has been talking up this we have a bunch of different starting lineup things but he went with maxi and i i thought that's actually the right approach against the milwaukee bucks and we've talked plenty about how the Sixers have these matchup advantages, at least in my mind, against Milwaukee. John and I talked about that on Wednesday. But I think, and Tyrese Max actually leads the team in minutes and uh, has 28 points himself, played 41 minutes. The Bucks just don't have the type of players or the style, particularly with Chris Middleton still on this minutes limit, where they're going to go after someone like Tyrese Maxey. And particularly because Giannis is going to be involved in most actions. If you leave him off the ball, that's a problem because he's not going to get guarded. And if not Giannis, then Brooke Lopez or Portis would be involved in a screening action. There's just very little, the Bucks do very little going after smaller players. And so Maxey, and, and, you know, he can guard Grayson Allen and he did so extremely poorly in the third quarter when Grayson Allen had all 20 of his points in the third <laughs> quarter. Uh, but it, like when you get Maxi out there on this team playing 41 minutes, like they become a very, very difficult team to stop. And then you also take Tucker out and now you've got George Niang in and Niang hitting that five of six from three. It was also huge. And, and so even even someone like Jalen McDaniels, who I thought played really well in this game, team best plus 14 in, in 20 minutes, he gives you more spacing and, and a little more offensive juice than someone like Tucker does as well. The loss of Harris against this Bucks team doesn't really matter that much. I don't know that he gives you like a huge matchup advantage. Um, 
you know, Melton is obviously able to capably fill in there. So uh, I, I was, this game definitely, one of my big takeaways was that I, I am a believer, not necessarily that Philly is going to win this series, but in terms of their talent, they can punch above their weight against Milwaukee because Milwaukee doesn't punish the lack of two-way play in the way that, say, a Boston or one of the Western Conference teams with those elite perimeter creators does. A weakness uh, like a core deficiency really doesn't matter that much if the other team lacks the way to exploit it. And Middleton's still working his way back. He was two of eight from f- from the field, came off the bench. Like that's a factor too. I also think that they would have used PJ Tucker more if Middleton had been full Middleton, but that obviously was not the case here. And so you have you have that. And and I thought that one of the other dynamics that would be so interesting in a series between these two teams really came into play in the turnover battle. And you think about the possession possession game is that Philly, particularly with James Harden, they don't they don't turn the ball over as much as they used to. Like they're they're still, still will have these bouts. And the Bucks great at many things on defense. They force the least turnovers in the entire NBA. So you yeah, had a, a and game, and that that can be a weakness for both Harden and Embiid as well. If they're really uh, is turning the ball over, but it can be Embiid and in so, particular. And so in the, in this contest, the Sixers only turned the ball over five times. Only three of those became steals. And and Philly, you know, they can also exacerbate that with problems in transition defense. And so it, it is a. It, I said a weakness is only a weakness if the opponent can exploit it. It's sort of the same thing with their turnovers in transition defense, and so that just puts more. It puts more on the Bucks to to get stops, to get defensive rebounds, and everything else. And I hadn't fully processed that before this one. Uh, do you want to talk about Giannis's game? Yeah, I think that's a a good place to start. And Giannis, with the Bucks having won sixteen straight, getting more MVP buzz, he has been playing better since he returned from I think it was about a five six game absence due to knee soreness before the break. But my observation of Giannis, and this is this is all I'm saying is what he's doing in this regular season, right? Like the, there are a lot of guys who can ramp up their effort level in the playoffs. Obviously, he was about as good as you can be against the Celtics and still lose a series last year. Had just some absolutely epic games on both ends, had games where he basically just won them the whole game defensively as well. I just haven't seen that level of play from him very often this season against good teams, obviously. I haven't watched every Bucks game. Uh, I think the fact that he's shooting worse than ever from three now, 27%, right? That's even, he's never been great, but at least he was had a, his percentage had a three in front of it <laughs> in previous years, even if it wasn't a, a great shot. And even without Tucker, I thought that being able to put Joel Embiid on him did cause some problems uh, for Giannis. Now, he had a, a nice stretch at the start of the fourth when he was the only one keeping the Bucks ahead. Um, Philly actually trailed by 18 late in the third after the Grayson Allen barrage and then got back into it uh, in the non-Embiid minutes. Embiid actually was negative seven in this game. So And Paul Reed was uh, fantastic. But Giannis did get something going in those minutes. But once Embiid was back in the game in the fourth quarter, and uh, Philly, they don't want to do this third time and pj tucker will have the primary matchup against him a lot of the way uh, i thought Embiid did very well on Giannis. he took a charge on him uh he forced Giannis into a number of attacks that were just you know taking the jumper not trying to get all, all the way to the basket Embiid's one of the few guys who has at least some mobility and then is not going to necessarily get knocked backwards by Giannis every time Giannis got him a couple of times but uh Embiid largely was able to stop Giannis one-on-one and so what the bucks decided to do which i thought was a, a pretty good strategy and they just weren't able to execute it a couple of times was they wanted to have Giannis as the screener in pick and roll usually it's for holiday and then use 
Giannis's mobility against Embiid. That's Giannis's biggest advantage. So they would have Giannis slipping out of the screen early. And we can kind of talk about how this dynamic took place at the end of the game. But they had him slipping out of the screen early and then trying to lob it up to him. They just couldn't quite execute the pass. And mostly, I think they got a foul one of the times. Like, he was actually able to get behind him, and it took the Sixers a little while to figure out how they were going to deal with that. And eventually, at the end of the game, they actually had Embiid just switch onto Drew Holiday. And I can't remember who the Holiday defender was. It was somebody who had a, a reasonable amount of size who could at least kind of fight with. Might have been McDaniels, actually, who could at least fight with Giannis a little bit. So I, I, I thought that was fascinating. And then, well, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll save that for the end of the game. So mm-hmm. I, I thought, and then on the offensive end, Brooke Lopez guards Embiid reasonably well in the post. The Bucks, of course, don't have anyone else who can do that. And so we didn't see, particularly with Harden playing well, we didn't see hardly any Embiid post-ups. Instead, it was Embiid getting the ball on the move. The Bucks are not going to switch that. They got Lopez on Embiid, so he's going to be in the drop coverage. So Harden sets the pick and roll or gets the pick and roll from Embiid, usually going to his left, then leaves it for Embiid. And Embiid usually, like Brooke Lopez, is, has to be in a drop coverage against Harden. So you get this situation where Embiid is a great mid-range shooter and he's able to either catch the ball with a live dribble near the free throw line and you know jab step go to a jump shot or of course he can try to attack draw fouls against Lopez. Lopez did have four fouls but he was uh, played a really nice game overall. He interestingly he was plus 11 in his 33 minutes most of which matched up with Embiid. I imagine if these two teams play in the playoffs we'll get to the point where Lopez and Embiid's minutes are, are pretty much being matched uh, almost exclusively and they were pretty close to that point even in this game but I thought uh, Embiid like this is the difference with having James Harden is that Embiid you don't have to just dump it into the post to him like now you can kind of catch it a little bit in space and he can try to get by Brook Lopez or he can take that jumper and I thought he was able to get pretty good offense down the stretch of this game through those actions it is so fascinating how like one game just gives you these insights because it's not necessarily dispositive you know it's not the the seven game series against these teams especially when you consider the players who either didn't play at all or were very limited in the contest but you you do get those insights and and i thought one thing you, you mentioned it briefly but i thought this was a big paul reed game yeah he was awesome uh and uh, didn't play very many minutes uh, by any means only nine but he was out there as they got back into the game with the the harden and maxi no Embiid lineup at the start of the fourth going against it Giannis at times even that group was going against uh, the big three although with middleton limited in terms of minutes you're not going to see very many minutes with all three of those guys out there until the end of the game but yeah reed had a couple of big offensive rebounds uh he was uh, helped push it in transition and then also uh, had a couple of nice plays around the rim he had a block had a strip of Giannis so he gave them enough and, and I mean they can't you can't play Montrose Harrell in this matchup uh, but for Reed to be able to guard Giannis enough to at least put up some resistance Giannis did have a decent stretch during that period but he also missed some shots and, and got stripped one time Th- that was huge so we've seen of course the Sixers always struggle to find that and uh, uh, Paul Reed clearly whether he, he won't play this well every game but he is definitely the guy that you go to at backup center matchup speaking of rotations I thought one thing that was striking about this is you know Bucks acquired Jay Crowder and Crowder has been playing you know still working his way into the Bucks rotation having missed the entire first few months of the season he didn't come in in the first half 
Really didn't play at all in the first half. Yeah, I, I guess he I, it didn't occur I don't to me. I think kinda, so. I could, I could look he, through the box scores. He, he came could, in late in the third. I mean, let me look. Um, I, 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 maybe I, I might have missed but, but it. But as, look, as, you're, as you're double checking that, I did think it was interesting that he was the guy that Harden was picking out to go after when it was kind of Harden ball time. And he was able to get past him. Harden was able to get past Chris Middleton as well, just on hard left-handed drives like pretty regularly. And with the way Philly was shooting it, and frankly, the personnel that they're able to keep out there with Niang and Maxi out there a lot of the time, you know, the Bucks really had to kind of choose the, their poison. And Philly shot amazingly well from three, 48%, made 18 threes in this one. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, I, I, I crossed yeah. it up. He did he did play in the first half. I just I just blanked on it. Um, he, he had a stretch starting, again, very late in the first and then was in for a, a portion of the second. So I apologize. Yeah, maybe, there's, maybe there's more need for Crowder when you're going against... Tobias Harris, which they weren't in the second half. And Crowder, you know, his he's more kind of a tough defender than a quick defender. And maybe being out on the floor against James Harden is not perfect. But you think if they still have the rest of their guys behind him, that can help. But it's generally, I think they're going to play Crowder at the four. So he's only going to play with one of Giannis or Brooke Lopez. Yeah, the, this rotation from Mike Budenholzer was really fascinating. And it, obviously, they have a lot of new personnel. They actually for, formally signed Goran Dragic as well. We'll see how he fits in and i mean they played five guys off the bench more than 13 minutes and between crowder portis javon carter joe ingles and then middleton playing 27 minutes they started pat Connaughton. he only played 17 minutes though so it seems like at this point i mean they'd won 16 straight there's nothing to complain about mike budenholzer doesn't quite have an idea of which of these guys he wants to emphasize but like with nikola miritich back in 2019 the last time i think the bucks had what i would consider to be this same level of depth somebody who's been playing all year is probably going to end up towards the end of a competitive playoff series not getting the minutes you just don't see this sort of a minute distribution and whether that's i mean john carter has the least pedigree we saw him get eclipsed by george hill really probably to the detriment of the bucks defense in particular in that boston series george hill was really bad in that series he had a neck issue he was coming back from and you know middleton he has had some better games he really struggled in this one two of eight from the field they did not i thought it was telling that they were running their pick and roll stuff through drew holiday at the end of the game rather than middleton who would normally be that guy and again that philly had a lot of defensive liabilities out there and chris middleton either wasn't able to take advantage of it or they didn't give him the ball to take advantage of it so six points two of eight only two assists for middleton in 27 minutes uh, it was definitely a little discouraging and and also like grayson allen played 30 minutes and part of why he played 30 minutes was because he was shooting the ball like crazy uh, but that's also i think ultimately you don't like if i had to pick of all these guys that i mentioned like grayson allen would probably be ultimately at the bottom uh, in a lot of these matchups maybe in a philly matchup they feel like they need him more because of his shooting but also philly is going to go after someone like a grayson allen a lot as will the celtics that's their two primary competitions in the conference I want to talk slightly about the end of the game here and the Bucks do close it out with Grayson Allen. They put in Chris Middleton for Connaughton, and then they had, uh, obviously, Holiday Lopez and Giannis out there. Bucks really still leading most of the way, but Philly ends up putting up a 48-point fourth quarter. They scored 12 points in the last 140 of the game. They're down four. The ball gets kicked around a half court. Three seconds left on the shot clock. Middleton goes under on Harden, and Harden, going to his left, just pulls up for probably about a 31 
one foot three pointer with the shot clock expiring. And then the next time down, Philly gets another late clock three, this time through Embiid. This one at least came off some penetration. It was a little healthier offense that time, but that shooting was completely ridiculous. Meanwhile, the Bucks kept trying to go to that pick and roll with Giannis, trying to have him slip out uh, against uh, Embiid. One time they lob it over the top, but Giannis isn't all the way at the rim. He tried to go for a hook shot over Embiid, which missed. Uh, the other, then the next time after the Harden three, they actually switch Embiid onto Holiday. He went for the step back three. That one curled out. And after Embiid hits the three to put Philly up, by two with 42 seconds left but has two timeouts left i thought again he really blew it by not calling timeout there to ensure the two for one this is actually when holiday misses that step back excuse me uh off the switch against him but it took them too long to get into the play they wanted to run so holiday takes that with 25 seconds left when you're down two you got to get the two for one in that situation and then chris middleton fouls tyrese maxi maxi makes two free throws to put him up four then middleton misses a three they, they try to go for the three as you should down four with the shot clock off sixers call timeout and then get a five second violation in the front court so the bucks have new life down four 17 seconds left and the play call was for inbounding in the backcourt quick two but this is again the fallacy of the quick two this is Giannis trying to get a quick two going downhill and beat the whole idea of the quick two is well hey they're preventing against the three so we can get in and get a really quick two completely uncontested and then we'll play the foul game again hey we just forced a five second violation but when Giannis has the ball Joel Embiid's not really that worried about him taking a three like he's it's not like some big surprise that Giannis is going to go for the two and so Embiid just backed off and ended up forcing a, a travel by Giannis and then Harden hit a couple of free throws when they had to foul and that was it for the game um last thing I'll say on this one just the overall all quality I thought of the defense from both teams was not particularly good. Part of that is because these teams had more of their offensive players on the floor. But you know, I thought Joel, his individual defense on Giannis was pretty good. I thought, though, his communication, his getting out to shooters when that was his assignment, when they were kind of trying to hide him on the baseline, he had to get out to the corner. He just didn't do that. Uh, so I, I thought his uh, overall defensive game wasn't amazing. I mean, as you might expect when it's 133-130, nobody sure. great defense. Uh, I thought like Drew Holiday gave up a three to Niang when he was sort of just like helping without helping as well. You expect more from him, particularly because there was there wasn't really anything threatening going on in the main action. This was kind of like old Bucks defense, but he didn't even really like get to the nail to force that one pass away. And Niang was uh, hotter than fish grease, as uh, Mark Jones would say, and uh, just shot right over Holiday, who had a pretty poor closeout. Uh, Grayson Allen and Tyrese Maxey took turns letting each other score in the third quarter so it just wasn't quite the level of execution and intensity defensively that i hope we will see from these teams playoff that's totally fair um before we move on i want to do the milwaukee bucks fundamentals because this stretch has been huge for them milwaukee now 45 and 18 their plus 4.9 net rating is fifth in the nba and oh i forgot to mention the record so they've 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 gone 18 and 2 since the last 15 60s. That's that's massive. It's really solidified their place. We'll talk about that in a second. Offensive rating, they've gone from 25th to 17th during this stretch, and they are first on defense. They moved only up one spot, but they only had one spot to move up there. 
And as we're recording this, they are currently projected. They're ahead of the Celtics by a half game because they're one ahead in the loss column. And they're projected to tie in the um, in the final standings, which so that will be obviously a massive difference between those two. We don't know how, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, all that's going to shake out. But the instinct is the one seed is going to be a lot more advantageous than the two because of that second round matchup. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's talk a little Washington Wizards here, Danny. And the Wizards now sit at 30 and 33 this Sunday afternoon. 13th on offense. That's a nice improvement from where they were early in the season. 20th on defense. Uh, They've actually won 1.5 fewer games than expected. Uh, They are 12 and 8 since uh, we last checked in on them and they've been pretty good since i think they were at one point had reached an eight year of 13 and 20 no actually 12 and 20 so they've had a nice comeback they've been playing some of the teams around them in the standings they lost to the hawks lost to the bulls recently their projection is to finish 40 and 42 in the 10th seed per 538 but some room maybe to move up hawks and raptors only projected a game ahead of them that's per the raptor projections and same thing 40 and 42 per elo and a guy that was the subject of so many rumors trade rumors not even really rumors maybe more trade discussions among us media people is bradley beal he signed the five-year deal in washington he got the no trade 35 percent max would you characterize it as a bounce back year for him absolutely and beal last year this was a, a something that we posited we quite we wondered about the time so beal had been pretty consistent and league league standards have changed a little bit you know in the 58 to 60 percent true shooting pretty high usage especially in those more more recent years for beal and then last year beal misses half the season and those numbers drop pretty precipitously he's below average true shooting at 54 percent usage actually drops a lot from where he was before and the Wizards have their have their challenges, and they bring him back on this full max, given no trade clause, and they're like, well, you know, he's close to 30. What is it going to be? And other than a drop in usage from those absolute peak years, Bradley Beal has been a very efficient player, and 
It's a couple of different elements that I think are are fascinating when you think about a player as talented as Beal has been going into his 30s. So one is last year, Beal shot 30% from three. He's a career 37% three-point shooter. He's at 38% this year. So that bounce back, that regression of the mean, not a huge surprise. And that's an important part of your your offensive foundation. Though it is notable, Beal, he's only taking five three-pointers per 36 minutes. That is well below, uh, for some of his best years, he was more in the seven to eight per 36 range. That That's a pretty significant difference. But how Beal has been able to be this efficient is, like many players, including we've often invoked Beal and Lillard because of their, not because they're similar levels of quality, but because of their commitments to organizations that don't really have a lot of championship equity, Beal's gotten a lot better as a two-point finisher. And so this isn't even just bouncing back to where he was. Beal's converting 55% of his twos this year. That is the best he has ever done in an, in a season. We're not at the full point yet. And we're recording this right before they play the Bucks, so that could end up dropping a little bit. But doing that through converting more, uh, he, Beal has never converted more than 70% of the shots at the restricted area. It's at 78% this year. That's fantastic. And he's doing pretty well in mid-rangers. So that all fits together. And so you, you think about those kind of two different pieces in play. And then another part that I think is really interesting is I brought up how Beal's role within the Wizards offense has, has dropped. And well, some of that is probably... Go. The finishing thing I think is notable just in that he didn't play a minute with Kristaps Porzingis last year. Right. And, and I think that this is... And, you know, they've, they've gone to some double big lineups and they don't have great shooting with the likes of Avdia as well or Hachimura before him playing with Porzingis. But most teams are putting their center on Kristaps Porzingis and, and particularly with some of the post-ups that uh, Porzingis is doing. And so that just has given Beal a, a lot more space to get to the room. I think physically he just looks better, even though it was a wrist injury that felled him last year. I do think physically like he looks to have more start and stop, a little bit more explosion as well. But this is a different ecosystem ecosystem really than he's ever played in before in Washington that's true though they have played a fair amount with Gafford out there and some some other guys but but Porzingis is a fundamentally different player than they've had before and and we talked about Kuzma and plenty of the other things and and for Beal, I talked about the decrease in usage. If you you want to use the basketball reference version of it, he was at 34% usage in his big years and now down to 29. That's a significant drop. And per Seth's total usage, Beal's 44.7% is 25th in the league. Incidentally, one spot behind John Wall, former teammate. Um, He's more in the area where like Darius Garland and Jason Tatum are. Some of those guys are playing alongside ball dominant players. Garland, of course, with Donovan Mitchell, who's also in this area. De'Aaron Fox with DeMontis Sabonis. And rather than in the like kind of Lillard Halliburton range, which is in the high 40s of true usage and, and under total usage. And I think that's probably a good place for Bradley Beal to be overall. And the Wizards have been like legit credible in Beal's minutes. I, I We talked about their overall net rating. They're at either dead even, but they're plus 1.9 when Beal's on the floor, including a, a, a pretty strong 118.3 offensive rating. And so all those things I think are really good positives. And I think I have beyond the bounce back just happening, more confidence that Beal will age reasonably well. He's of course been a good shooter, limited defender, but I don't know that he'll get that much worse that quickly. So the idea that Beal can be a useful player, a valuable player on a very good team is there. 
Like I, I'm more confident in that window now than I was before. And that's great news for the Wizards. That's great news for Beal. I still feel weird about like kind of where this team is because you think about Beal, he's missed time, but he's having this bounce back year. Porzingis and Kuzma have played well and the Wizards are, and they've had this nice run. They're firming up a spot in the play And so the question just becomes, okay, you're getting the, you're not the best case scenario, but on the better, definitely on the better side in terms of overall player availability, overall player performance. It's just like, I, I don't want to necessarily end this on negative, but just like, well, what are we doing here? Like that sort of an idea. Cause like it, it's, I selfishly, I want to see great basketball players in great situations. I want to see, like, I think Beal, we just talked about the, the Bucks and the Sixers. You could really help a team like that. Like you could do a lot there. And it's their prerogative. Both sides turn those keys in the submarine. That's the way things work. I'm totally fine with it. But I was just like, I've watched the Wizards a fair amount. I enjoy watching them. But I just I, I just feel this just, I, I don't know, I, I, this hole where it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm fine with this, but I'm not jazzed about it. They don't have young guys that are coming up. Avdia's, you know, I like Avdia, but he hasn't really done that. They already traded away Hashimura, Johnny Davis, and Kispert and all that. So it's just like, okay, good for you. I'm happy you're having a I guess the, the way I would characterize it is this kind of seems like, you know, an 85th percentile outcome for the Absolutely. This year. That, in terms of health, too. I mean, that that's probably health has been one of the under-considered stories for a lot of teams this year. Like, I think the Kings and the Knicks in particular, although the Knicks really are going on now a three-year run of of uh, excellent health but for the wizards with beal porzingis for both those guys who have basically been healthy this year beals maybe missed a little bit more yeah he's, he's missed more beals played 41 of their 63 games so he's missed about 20 yeah. Oh yeah, so but it just it kind of hasn't been any like one major thing for him, so I think that's gone a little bit more under the radar. Although I would say Porzingis well, and is I mean, probably the more valuable player. For and right if now. and if Porzingis has only missed thirteen, like that's that's yeah. pretty good for you. And Kuzma's only missed a couple here and there. So like overall, you're going to take that. There, Monte Morris being out, even though Delon Wright has played great, like that's been an absence. But relative to like the rest of the league, I think they've been they've been on the healthier side. Quick note that I had uh, as I was doing some other research for this i like looking at guards who provide some health defense and Seth's stats uh, provide what percentage of shots taken around the basket that a player can test defensively and jordan goodwin is fifth among guards who have played more than 500 possessions contesting 16.3 percent of opponent shots uh, around the rim a player we'll talk about later in this 15 and 60 is uh, the guard leader in that statistic but goodwin not too far behind him and goodwin is he doesn't have he's not one of these like six five guards either. he's rugged but he, he definitely is a more kind of point guard size uh, but yeah, I think what we'll do here is I'm actually going to post this now for Prime subscribers because we have enough here, particularly with the interview with Monty McCutcheon. So we'll get, get that up for a little earlier than we normally do on the 15 and 60, but we'll get to you some more later on in the day. Talk to you all soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.